Welcome to My Limited View with me, Sergio Novoa, where we share stories and expand our views. We all have a story. What's yours? What's yours? Welcome back to My Limited View. I have a very special guest today who I personally know and have trained under, studied under, and used to be my boss. Uh, we met in San Francisco when I was working at this club called Sports Club LA. Actually, no, we met prior to that, but she hired me at Sports Club LA. She has been doing fitness for over 30 years, and she's been a yoga instructor for 20 years. So right about the time I was born. Uh, please welcome my very special guest, Cecily Guest. Hey, Sergio, thank you very much for inviting me. It's so great to see you. I have not seen you since Jesus walked the earth. I know, long time no see. You're doing so many fabulous things, though. So, uh, you know, life goes on. We have to move on. Life goes on, yes. I mean, had you told me when I was a teenager that I would be a fitness instructor, I would have told you you were crazy. Um, had you told me three years ago that I would move to L.A. and be a comic, I would have said you were crazy. When you told, had you told me when I was at Sports Club LA, you're going to open a food business, I would have said, you are nuts. I can barely hold a knife. So I'm learning to go along for the ride, be observant, but I cannot always control the car. And there you go. Yeah, that's what I've learned. But <laughs> I used to take yoga with you. And one of the reasons I like doing yoga with you is because you would kick my ass. And the way I see the gym is I want to go into the gym and do something that I can now do on my own, especially if I'm going to work one-on-one. -on -one. So I would take your classes, but then you and I would get together once a week. And it was just great. Like I love challenging myself and your classes were very tough, uh, but they were packed. So people clearly love to be tortured. <laughs> How did you get started into yoga? Cause you said fitness for 30 years and yoga for 20. Yeah. I was in New York just before we came to San Francisco, my husband and I, and in New York about two years before we came to San Francisco, I would, you know, go around and take some yoga classes. I'd already been managing fitness. And, you know, as a manager, it's very important to understand what it is that you're hiring for. So yoga was this kind of outlying um, field that I didn't understand. So I was just going around taking a lot of classes. I was already teaching, though. You know, I was already teaching step. I was already teaching body sculpt. I was already teaching cycling. So the idea of teaching something was not beyond me. It was just knowing and understanding the yoga. And um, when I was in New York, for various reasons, there was no teacher, nobody made me feel like I could be good at it. You know, I was coming out of bodybuilding. There's an assumption that you can't do yoga with muscles. That's totally not true. I just didn't know it. Yeah. So uh, when I got to San Francisco, when I was working for Crunch, uh, I was in a position to hire yoga instructors. And I hired my teacher, uh, Sufi Eric Fakir. And he was really the first person who looked at me and said, you know, well, first he said, you don't know anything about yoga. And he was the first person who made me realize that what little I didn't know was all wrong. And he had spent 12 years in an ashram. And so I started kind of learning and he really pushed me. He really, really pushed me hard. He almost pushed me like somebody like, how dare you want to know and learn and understand this? That sounds like the karate kid, Mr. Wax on and wax off. You're like, why am I doing this? But you're actually learning the movements. So he is the one, he is responsible. Where can we talk to this man for all the torture you put us through? <laughs> well, he's, he's in Asia. He's in Chiang Mai now. Oh, wow. He's in Thailand. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, I've been to Chiang Mai. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. So he is mm-hmm. he is the one who kind of took you under his wing, we can say? Uh, he took me under. I mean, I was his boss. Yeah. Well, so, you were his boss, but you were learning from him, which is a great dynamic. Yeah. Mutual yeah. respect. Oh. And how long did it take you from the time of him kind of taking you under and teaching you to where you're like, I got this. I can do. I mean, we're always learning. But like where you were teaching a class on your own and you felt confident of what you were doing. So I always felt confident teaching because remember, I'd already had 10, 12 years under my belt as an instructor. Uh, so, uh, th- so, so there's a divergence here. One is what, do, what does the student expect out of a yoga class? And then the other is, is what is a real yoga instructor? Like, you know, my abilities well exceed the expectations in a single class. Um, which is what my teacher kind of enforced. He's like, well, I know students can't do this, but if you want to be a serious instructor, you have to be able to do this or that. Uh, so I would have to say, you know, somewhere around three, four years after studying with him, you know, meeting with him, having him torture me, I could finally do arm balances. I could finally do splits. I could, there was a, it really just has to come into your body. There was a lot of stuff that I could, I could finally fold into Lotus. Gotcha. So for anyone listening, who's doing yoga and you're frustrated because you can't touch your toes and you've only been doing yoga for a week, four years, three years into it as an instructor, not just the, Oh, I occasionally take class. You were doing the work. That's how long it took you. And I'm a big Mm -hmm. fan of that because I love it when people apply themselves. And in doing so, you start to see the results of the work. And it's like, ah, here it is. All this hard work. But if you just do it whenever and you think it's all going to work out, good luck with that. Um, Comedy is definitely that. One of the things that I loved when I did yoga with you, in addition to like the physical torture that I was putting myself through, one hidden gem that I was very surprised to find in yoga was that my cardio got a lot better. And it's not a cardio thing. So I was very surprised. I was like, oh, my lung capacity has improved. And I don't know if it had to do because I was breathing through my nose a lot more, but that was a hidden gem that I was like, oh, you want to get better at cardio? Do some yoga in addition to running. Right. You know, I mean, when we say cardio, you know, uh, you know, the heart is pumping the blood and the oxygen into the body. That's the job. When you're running, it mostly goes into your lower body. Yoga uses the entire body. So when you think about the uh, overwhelming need in the mitochondria of the muscles, when you're doing yoga, all of your muscles need blood and oxygen, right? And so the heart, and, and you're going up and you're going down and you're going sideways. So the heart really actually gets stronger than just running. Then also, what is the heart doing? It's really to also move that oxygen, right? So the blood is carrying the oxygen. So you almost automatically start to breathe deeper. Yeah. Yes. And because of yoga is opening and folding the body, opening it and folding it, you're, you're really finally moving this chemistry in a way, like, like you're massaging chemistry in, in yoga. And so you get better at breathing. Your heart actually gets stronger. Your vascular system improves and you're not moving quickly. It's not yeah. because of that. So it's really a great, that's why I still love it. Yeah. You know, over any other fitness modality, I feel like my entire body gets, gets that chemistry massage. And also <laughs> you did, you did mention the body you fold and you do this. 
I never forget the names of yoga, remember the names of yoga, but your yoga, I call it a moving yoga. You go into a pose, you get out of the pose, you go into, so I was almost like I'm bobbing and weaving. And that's what I liked. I did take other yoga classes where we would hold the pose for an extended period of time. I have to admit for me personally, it didn't work. Um, so what is your type of yoga called? Cecily yoga? Cecily yoga. <laughs> I, actually, I do call it that. Oh, there you and go. People, uh, the, yes, I, my website is cecilysyogaretreat.com. And I often use in my promotion, Cecily's yoga, you know, and why is that? Some people would say that's really presumptuous of me, but I started doing that because students would ask me, what is your yoga? And I would say, look, I, I, I practice yoga. I, I am, I'm a yoga teacher. I will do, if you need static, that's what we're doing, right? If you need vinyasa, that's what we're doing. I, again, I'm, I'm a fully rounded yoga instructor. So, so it just came up. My students started saying, Cecily's yoga. See, I didn't come up. They just, they couldn't find anything to call me. Yeah. And I just kept it. There you go. I mean, Hey, works, <laughs> works. It, it matches. <laughs> um, what are some preconceived notions you think that people may have when it comes to yoga? Um, Cause the way I interpret yoga, and I would tell this to my clients, it's not about you touching your toes. It's about you having equal range of motion. If you rotate to the left and you rotate to the right. Now you can be put in different positions to enhance that range of motion. But if your definition of yoga is just flexibility, I can put my hands on the ground, then that's a limited view. Do you find that people have some kind of preconceived notions of yoga? Yes, a lot. Just like in fitness, um, there's so many problems in fitness, as you know, like spot reduction, like, oh, let me move my leg and then I'm going to burn the fat on my leg. So we have just as many problems in yoga as there is in fitness um, and, and the world of nutrition. Now I'm doing keto. Now I'm do, it's, it's, it's just, it's for us as professionals, it's mind blowing how much people work to not understand something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so what did it, what, just like nutrition, it's all about awareness. So, so first you have to be aware of something. You have to know about something. And then you have to decide what it is that you want or need. Yeah. Want, want or need. Just say that again, want or need. So what I mean by that is, do you want to touch your toes or do you need to touch your toes? If you want to do some weird wackadoodle advanced yoga pose with your leg over the back of your head, you need to touch your toes. You understand what I'm saying? Gotcha. You want to do the crazy pose. In order to do the crazy pose, you need to be able to touch your toes. Definitely. I hope that makes sense. Oh, right? I, I get uh, it. I completely, <laughs> I, well, as a fitness person, I get it. If you're listening to this and you're not a, you're not a fitness person, you might be, what is she talking about? Um, but another thing is you are a black female and- Yes, I am. You no, know, uh, surprise. I don't know if you knew this about yourself. <laughs> but the other, uh, I don't recall seeing many- um, black women doing yoga. And I, I think when we think of yoga, we think of some Indian man in some remote place, just eating air and being at peace with the world. It's like, no, that, well, I live in the real world and I live in a city where I have to deal with traffic and LA, tra LA drivers, which let me tell you, you think San Francisco drivers are bad? Oh, they're a walk in the park. <laughs> so what's it like as a black female instructor? 
you know, that hits to your question of preconceived notions, right? So, I mean, when people come to it, they already have some idea of who they think is going to be teaching the class. And yes, uh, you know, in the 2000s, definitely in 1980s, they definitely thought it was going to be some uh, brown-skinned Indian man like um, Vikram or Patabi Joyce or Mr. Iyengar, um, and, uh, or that it was going to be a man. But somewhere around in the 80s, you had enough people going to India to study. Now, let's think about this. Who got to go to India and study? Mostly white people. Mostly white people had the money to, to do it. There are very few black people. But, you know, Eartha Kitt practiced yoga. Sonny Rollins, the jazz musician. Sonny Rollins practiced yoga. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar practiced yoga. Uh, I forget the uh, music producer. I, for, uh, I can't get his name right now. There's Quincy quite a Jones? Few black uh, not yeah, Quincy Jones actually did do um, a yoga. So a lot of black people uh, practice yoga, but maybe didn't travel actually travel to India to become an instructor. So a lot of people, yeah. white people. So by the time you get to the two thousands, most of the teachers in America are white women. There you yeah. go. You know, and some white men, but just overwhelmingly white women um, um, went. And then could get a loan. Black people, many black people can't get a loan. You could get a loan and open a little yoga studio and, and go and do her thing. Yeah. Um, um, so, so you have that. So that's a preconceived notion. So I'm a black woman. So you, from that, you get that it's either going, should be a white woman or an Indian man. And then all of the magazines in the 2000s, you open up a magazine. Well, who are you going to sell to people with money? Yeah. You're going to sell it to people with money. It's going to be white women. Yeah, that makes sense. We are living in a time where we're recognizing the importance and the value behind representation. I remember when I saw the movie Coco as a Latino audience member, I'm looking at the theater and I thought for a second, I go, holy cow, everyone on the screen looks like me and they have a little bit of an accent. And I understood sitting there as a grown adult who I'd like to consider myself a person who is aware of the world, I recognized, oh my God, the I get it. I get the importance of representation. So I can see if the brown community or the non-white community is looking through magazines and they are advertising to where the money is and historically white people have had more money, they're not going to see themselves. They're not going to see themselves represented, nor is it going to spark an interest in them to want to do it because it's, it's some stuff some rich white women do. Um, which I had the same experience with Pilates when I was teaching Pilates, guys would think, um, oh, that's something my girlfriend does. I'm like, give me 20 minutes. I'll, I'll show you what your girlfriend is not doing to you. <laughs> what? I, you're too much. But see, I mean, this is crazy because Joseph Pilates, see, here it is again. This is why these markets and things are messed up. People don't even recognize that Pilates is the name of the person, not the name of what you're doing. Like when I tell people, you realize it's Joseph Pilates. And then people go, oh, I had no idea it was named after someone. Yes, it is someone's name. It was a man. <laughs> it was a man. What are they thinking it is otherwise? Like, I don't, I just, I can't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that speaks to the volume of the state of the world we live in. We have so much access to information and what people choose to access. They know what's going on with the Kardashians, but they couldn't tell you who their local representative is. That's a whole different political topic we're not going to get into at the yes. moment. <laughs> yes. But yes, I can see how people of color probably would not consider it an option or be accessible to them. 
Yeah, you uh, again, if you go in, in from, from, let's say from the 1970s, you know, who was doing yoga anyway? I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio. There was not even a yoga studio, forget about it. Now, I know from Instagram that there are five yoga studios, at least in Cincinnati, Ohio. So who was doing yoga in the, in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, even people in Hollywood and New York? There was no one in the Midwest places doing that. So it had, so it's spread out now. Yeah. And so you have to ask you, so, so black people were doing yoga. Actually, there is a black woman, I forget her name, but she's like held very highly in the yoga community because she lived, she moved to India. She lived in India. She's thought very highly of, um, and this is the way, this is all I can tell you about yoga. Again, I am a yoga instructor. I, I don't see color. Haha. <laughs> you know, I mean, I just don't. But I don't because I see the yoga. Yeah. I see, I see the value of what was created for all of humanity, not for yeah. this group of people or not. You know, no, I totally understand um, that. Like when I was working with clients, and a client would sweat on me or something, I never thought anything about it because oh, you're working out. I'm here to coach you. There's a chance your sweat's gonna. Drip. I didn't think anything about that. But you put me in a bar and somebody sweats on me, and I'm like, go dry yourself whatever it is. So it's, it's true. Like when you're in the, mo in the moment and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, which is teaching a class, you see what needs to be done. And you see also as a trainer, you look for the potential in your client and what they want to achieve. And your goal is to get them there. Do you find that black women, you know, you're going to speak for all black women, by the way. <laughs> okay, here we go. Here we go. Do you find that black women uh, see yoga as something that's accessible to them? Are they using it? How are they using it? Yes. Now in the 21st century, we were in the 21st century, right? 2022, you do have a lot of black women doing yoga, but they're doing it in their own communities. There are quite a few black yoga studios in Atlanta, um, 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 New Orleans area. Um, in, in parts of Texas, um, um, in, in um, Oklahoma City. So, so what's happening is, is they don't really want to access yoga through a white teacher. They want to teach yoga. A black, black woman these days want to teach yoga to black people or take yoga from black people. Got it. It's it almost like a self-segregation. But again... That is because yoga is known to be healing. And I believe that it is being used therapeutically to heal emotional wounds. But the key is awareness of overall what it can do for you. Yeah. Now, you can do certain things for you when you're younger, but it can do a lot of things for you as you age. Definitely. And that's, that's my, so we can use yoga to heal intercultural wounds, to go across the aisle as it were we should use yoga to go across the aisle yeah. i don't think we should use it to segregate now you're going to start that way yeah but but yoga is about a kind of wisdom and so the, the more you do it a wisdom should come that yeah. you're going to use that now to heal social divide and i get the concept to not not stay segregated so uh, yeah and i get i get the concept of women wanting to take Black women wanting to take classes from other Black women or wanting to practice yoga within the community. Because I had this discussion the other day with a friend of mine, you know, due to 2022 social media representation, RuPaul's Drag Race, 
gay culture is nowhere near what it used to be when I was a child. But the downfall to that, or the, the, the you know, the double-edged sword to oh. it is that, you know, there was a time where there was this community that neighborhood we can go and be together and we felt safe. Now, the fact that we are so mainstream, we've one kind of spread out a little bit, but with that mainstream also happened, came the other people coming into our spaces and enjoying our spaces. And it's like, oh, wow, this was this place that I could come to and like connect and be within my community, not to single out, but here we are a bunch of straight white women who are coming in, celebrating their bachelor parties or whatever they're doing. And again, everyone should have fun. And gay clubs are way funner than straight clubs. So I get why you would come there. But it's this thing of, oh, wow, we wanted representation. We wanted acceptance. And we are getting a lot more of it. There's still work to be done for people of color or anyone who feels marginalized. I don't think the gay community realized, oh, when we get these perks or these quote unquote privileges, we in a way delude the thing that we have that's ours. And I, I kind of understand it. I didn't get it. I have to admit, I didn't get it. And then I got it when I realized as a gay man, I can go to a straight bar. And if I were to go to a straight bar and hold another guy's hand or be affectionate, I will get stared at or potentially be attacked. A straight couple can go into a gay bar and be completely fine. No one's going to harass them. So I can see the linkage of, hey, you know what? These are other people of color that look like me. They're doing yoga. I'd rather take yoga with them. I get that. I can see that. Right. There's an element of that. Now, you know, so so it makes it a little bit harder for me because because I'm such a purist that. Uh, so, for example, uh, working with uh, black women, black women will say something like, oh, yoga for our bodies. Now, you know, I'm a personal trainer as well. And that that makes no sense to me. You're our bodies. It's a human yeah. body. You have a human body. You have legs, arms, you have a kidney, you have a heart. There's these. So you, you, give, you have to give me something more specific. So that might be lordosis. I mean, in some cases, some people are missing a kidney. Let's, you know, let's not exclude <laughs> them either. <laughs> no, a disaster. <laughs> no, but let's look at lordosis. Let, let's look at lordosis. Oh. Most black women have lordosis. Mm-hmm. So I try to get from them, like you're talking about a specific, specific kind of spinal alignment yeah. in the lumbar, in the lower back. It's not that your booty is big, your pelvis is tilted. And you have more of an arch in your lumbar. That's yeah. lordosis. It's not a bad thing. Yeah. It, but, you know, you can't say our bodies. Now, all black people don't have lordosis. No. However, I have a lot of Asian clients. And one of the things my Asian clients really appreciate for me is I will say something to them like, Asian people tend not to have any lordotic curve. Or I will, I will actually say things that speak to their lineage. Yeah. And I said, well, it's not a problem, but if you want to do A, B, or C, you know, your, your, your hips aren't going to rotate like that. So people ask questions about alignment. And I, I'm one of the rare yoga instructors that will say, you know, your body's never going to work that way. Yeah. People get upset at first, but then I say, oh, no, 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 no. It's because of the DNA of your hips. Yeah. The, you know, the, the back, um, um, the, the length of the femur, there's certain things that are deeply embedded in our DNA. So the same thing happens in dance. You have the famous ballet instructor, Alvin Ailey. That's why he created his own dance company because he could not get his body, African-American body to adopt the extreme external rotation of ballet. Yeah. 
And so you have modern dance does not overforce a turnout. I, you know, as someone who has hip limitations, um, I appreciate that. And when I was a Pilates instructor, I, I can't remember where along the journey I realized if I demonstrate the, the movement, they're not getting into this position. They're just copying me. But the mechanics to what it takes to flex your spine, to have your legs over your head, enough extension in the hamstrings that they're fully extended, touching your toes to the floor. If I just throw my legs over my head, you're going to do that. But if I tell you, I want you to bring your knees in, throw your legs over, now lengthen your legs. And then their legs come up because they lack the flexibility or the low back is too tight. So I, I can totally, I appreciate that because I think a lot of people would just go ahead and look, okay, I'll do what they're doing. They have no idea what they're doing. Here's um, another thing that happens to me, Sergio, is when I teach white women, a lot of white women will come to me and say, am I in alignment? You know, you know, alignment, yoga alignment. And I'm letting them know, oh, you're a very tall Nordic white woman with wide hips. Yeah, your body's never going to get into that position. And they're like shocked. They're like, I thought yoga was all about alignment. And I, and I said, everybody's body is truly different. Truly. We say it. Do we mean it? Do we understand that when we say it? Everybody's body is different. No, including your own. Yeah. So what does that mean in terms of alignment? Yeah. So your, 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 I'll tell them their, your lower leg is too long because you're a Nordic woman. Your, your Achilles is very, very tight. Your femur is very long, which means your hamstring is automatically tight because you're a white Nordic woman. And yes, <laughs> you can weird. get there. No, but you know, but I explained to them their body, and it's like no one has ever said to them they're a white woman. It's very interesting. It's like no one has ever said, oh, you're a white woman and therefore ABC in your body. Yeah. And and I, that's because that's considered to be the models. No one has told them that they have impediments as well. You see, gotcha. so you have half the world going around thinking they have impediments because of their cultural DNA. Yeah. Most black women think, you know, I want yoga for my body. So you're assuming you're assuming that you have some kind of different human body. So what you're talking <laughs> about is cultural DNA. And then yeah. you're stating this in a way as if it is some kind of impediment. Gotcha. What I tend to do is when I work with people and they display in their body DNA. DNA is different than cultural, but then I'll call it cultural DNA. Gotcha. And I hope that makes sense to the listener. You know, your body has tens of thousands of years of DNA in it based on the region that that DNA comes from, period. And so most Black people are lordotic. This is yeah. not a bad thing. Yeah. Now, if you're going to take a black body and try to put it into something that is Asian, where Asian people don't have as much lordosis, what does alignment even mean? Yeah. For you as a black person. No, no, that's true. So I just ignore all of that. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, it's really seeing it from, I had never seen it this way, I have to admit. So I, I as someone who I think the, the problem I had with the static yoga, as I call it, um, is that they made, so I know that for me, external rotation on my left hip is extremely painful. Um, so when they had me do certain poses where I had to externally rotate and I had to hold it for seconds, if not a minute or more, for me, it was torture. Not even so much that the hamstring was getting the stretch or whatever was supposed to stretch. My hip joint was saying, what the hell are you doing? So I did appreciate yoga instructors who would, assess my body and figure out, oh, 
this is what your body can do. Let's d- extend that. Let's ex- enhance that. Um, so, and I think mm-hmm. for anyone listening who is looking to pick up a routine, look, there are X amount of exercises in the world. That's it. How you use the exercise, how much weight, how many reps, how long of a break you take, and how you put them together is what distinguishes one weightlifting program from a weight loss program, from a strength program, from a power program. You can use the deadlift for all of them. And as a matter of fact, you should use the deadlift. If there was one exercise you should do, it's the deadlift. Um, but how you use that deadlift. So I think with yoga, it's, it's, I hope that anyone listening keeps that in mind as they decide to take up something, whatever it is. You know, I know someone who thinks cycling is the best thing in the world. He's all hunched over. I know some yogis who think yoga is the only <laughs> thing in the world. They have no control behind their movements. So it's like, you want to strike this balance. Now I did want to bring it back a little bit. You mentioned earlier, as far as like the preconceived notions and it being a male, do you find culturally or either the Indian community, because we associate yoga with India, um, how do they react to white instructors, female instructors, black instructors? Do they, have you noticed any kind of pushback? So there, there's a big movement now of Indian instructors trying to reclaim uh, um, yoga. And uh, th- this gets a little bit difficult. So I feel that Indian people these days, same thing, kind of want to take from an Indian instructor. It's almost like, you know, everybody wants to, you know, pull it back. Uh, however, when I teach, because my teacher spent 12 years in an ashram, I have a lot of students in San Ramon, San Ramon, California, uh, where there's a lot of Indian students and they come right up to me and just, you know, thank you. And where did you study? Where did you learn? Um, because I'm doing things that they feel is more uh, teaching in the Indian culture. And authentic to the art form. Um, I don't, I wouldn't say it that way. Okay. I, I try to avoid saying, I say it's more like a, a spice than a meal. I mean, it's, 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 it's more of a taste or flavor than rather authenticity. That's like if people were to say Latin, all Latin food is hot and spicy. Well, that's not true. True. Not all would, of it. I would say I agree with you because I'm not big. Well, I'm, yeah. No, I hear exactly what you're saying. Yeah. It's more like it's not that it's authentic. It's something that they recognize from their culture coming from India. Gotcha. Um, and and I don't I don't do that to be authentic to the yoga. I do that because that's what my teacher did. So what they ah this is a big word in yoga is lineage. What they are picking up on is lineage. This is a big word in yoga, also in martial arts. In martial arts, you have a dojo. The dojo has a master. You are learning forms from that master. When you go out in the world. People will look at you and say, oh, you studied with master so-and-so because that form only comes from that dojo. Yeah. <laughs> I, that I know exactly because as someone who did martial arts for a very long time, it was the, who did you learn from? Who did your instructor learn from? And, you know, and also as you maneuvered yourself, they were like, oh yeah, I can tell he goes to that school because how he moves. So definitely. And I think, you know, on some level, I don't know if it's bad per se. I'll use myself as an example. So I'm about to shoot myself in the foot. You know, as a former instructor, if I take a fitness class and the instructor doesn't do a proper arc, I notice that. And I get a little bit annoyed. I'm like, really? You decided to do that movement without warming up the joints? Like, what's wrong with you? So 
I can understand someone who has knowledge of something, you know, like even when I do stand up comedy, if a comic goes up and he's been talking for a minute and there's no punchline yet, I'm like, dude, where's the punchline? Like you have one extremely long setup. A minute with no punchline is a very long setup. And you better have an amazing punchline after that. So I can see how someone who is familiar with or grew up with and is passionate about would be like, hey, who is this, you know, Suzanne over here teaching yoga um, without having, I don't know, done the proper training, without having gone to India. That being said, Suzanne can still make it accessible to someone who may, you know, maybe shy to try the whole thing, but they feel comfortable with her. So I can see, I, I see the benefit of that as well. It goes all around. You're, yeah. you're right. It goes all around, but you know, to your question, uh, you know, I mean, we can also talk about whether teachers in fitness and yoga should be men, should be women, do more women, do more women like a male instructor do. I, I attract more men. I have a lot of men. My class sometimes is two thirds men. Um, I'm, I'm very strong in my upper body. And, and I, so we do a lot of arm balances and also the men are not flexible. Yeah. Now, because I was a bodybuilder, I gained my flexibility. I had to work very hard to get it. And so I understand exactly what's going on with them. And so I really speak to a person with tight hamstrings or tight joints. Yeah. So I, I will, I, I can work with, and plus men, men, it's easier to touch men. You know, I, I hate to say it. A lot of good instructors. I, have I agree learned. with that. I agree with that statement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's harder to touch women. I feel bad for male yoga instructors who now have to like, you know, put their hands and you like do everything not to touch yeah. a, a woman because you never know when there's going to be an automatic lawsuit. Yeah. I mean, um, I remember from doing Pilates, I would always in general, but you're right. I agree with you. If I were to put my hands on a man, I wouldn't think twice about it because I feel like, oh, it's my shoulder. It's his shoulder. No big deal. But I remember I was conscious of women and say, oh, I'm going to put my hands here and I want you to press. I remember, for example, if I want them to do a downward facing dog and they're not quite bending the knees, I would put my hands on their hamstrings. I'm going to say, I'm going to put my hands on your hamstrings, push against my hands. And then they would extend the hamstring. So I definitely see what you're talking about there. Yeah. Yeah. And that, yeah. I mean, that speaks to, and again, there must've been a predator. I mean, predators are everywhere along the way that took advantage of that. And I mean, and it, when you see an instructor and you really like the instructor, sometimes the lines get a little blurry. You are like fascinated by this person. And if that person manipulates you or takes advantage of you, then you could be in a risky situation. But, yeah. 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 So there is a pushback from, people who consider themselves to be uh what would be the word i would use for someone like that like it's part of their heritage that only people who look like them should be teaching it yes i you know i think it happens a little bit in in fitness as well all the cyclists you know you can take a cycling class but at some point will people will say oh do you have your road bike are you going out on the road and you're like no i don't do that and then they'll you know yeah. You're not a real cyclist. You know, I mean, there's just this thing when it comes to our bodies, it's, yeah. it's just a judgment and people want to feel comfortable. It's, it's, it, you know, some gyms don't allow you to grunt or make noise when you lift weights, you know, the gyms that I'm talking about, Oh wow. they, they don't allow you to, to, um, um, you know, be bodybuilders. And then yet you go into the yoga studio and they're like, huh, 
huh, yeah. huh. You know, they recognize how you're going to get your diaphragm to work appropriately. Uh, so we get into these very uh, strange cultural ideas. And it's the oddest thing because everybody has a human body. Everybody yeah. has a diaphragm. Everybody has a hamster. Everybody has the same, you know, uh, uh, I have a young a young woman came to class and she was disabled. One of my clients was on Obama's committee for the disabled. Uh, you know her, she's blind. She used to come to some gyms. We know she's a blind woman who would come with her dog. And yeah, you remember her. And I asked her when somebody, when somebody comes to class, what do you, what do you say? I said, I'm a personal trainer, so I want to help. And she said, well, what you have to tell them is that you want to be of help, but don't help them. I was like, what? And she says, yes, because you could mess up. You, if you cannot go to a disabled person and say, I noticed that your one arm is shorter than the other. See, you've already, no, you don't say that. Huh. You say, let me know if I may be of help to you. Oh, and I'm that's... like, that's crazy time to me I, because I'm an older person. I'm an older fitness person. Um, and I go right in at the problem. Yeah. Well, I think from, because I'm handicapped, uh, clearly, um, I think from the person who is physically challenged or struggling with mo mobility, they still have to function in the real world. Because I've been caught in this thing where I see someone and I want to open the door for them. Or, you know, like you never finish a stutter sentence. You let them stutter until they get the word out. So I can see if you are dealing with any physical limitation, you still need to function in the world. And Cecily or Sergio is not always going to be there to open that door or pick up the book or whatever. Like you still have to fun function. So I can kind of see that in a way. But it's interesting, even with a modality like yoga, something that we all know it's good for us, whether you do it because you want to look good in the speedo or you do it to heal trauma or you do it to center yourself, you do it to discover something about yourself. Even with something as good as that, there is preconceived notions, segregation, like all these things that are part of our global world problem. You know, as someone who came to this country illegally from a, you know, a third world country, I wanted to adapt and assimilate as quickly as I could. Other people come in and they move to the mission and they only hung out with Latinos and they only spoke to Latinos. And it's like, oh, there's such a big world out there that I want to be a part of. I don't want to be pigeonholed. So it, even in a modality like this that will bring people together all over the world, there is still segregation, there is still discrimination, there is still this kind of limited view of the world when limited they walk view. into it. Let me ask you this. You said you wanted to assimilate. So you could use the word, I want to assimilate, but other people see that as you uh, appropriating. You see that, oh, oh, so you came to America and what you basically did is you appropriated American culture so that you could get ahead. See, and so this, this is very, very tricky. This is super tricky crossover language, yeah. you know? So, I mean, assimilation is, is it, a, is that bad? Is that, I didn't know it was a bad thing. Yeah. See? Could be a bad thing. Could be a good thing. I don't I know. I mean, I remember for me, the biggest thing that I was aware of, well, there are a few of them. <laughs> One, it was coming from a third world country. And all I ever heard of this country was bad. It was always war stricken and poverty and political turmoil. So my view of the country was, oh, wow, people think negatively of us. I don't want them to know I'm from there. Then I had to deal with the internal struggle of potentially being gay at a time where I wasn't sure. And all I ever heard about gay people is that gay people were terrible. So I was like, ooh, 
Am I one of these people that everyone says bad things about? I don't want to be that person. And then I was also Latino and I was quickly quick to recognize the image of the Latino male in this country is a negative one. You see them as mechanics, dishwashers, busboys, and whatever else. You know, I go to Colombia and I'm sitting in a bar filled with gorgeous men everywhere. And it's the doctor, the lawyer, the receptionist, the dentist, the secretary, the everything. And I was like, oh my God, we, myself included, are used to seeing Latino men as very few little things. And none of those things typically, typically consist of them being doctors, lawyers, dentists, architects, whatever it is. But when I was in a country where everyone looked like me, I remember this was 2008. I remember sitting in this bar looking and thinking, holy cow, the image of the Latino male in the United States is a very negative image. I also had this same reaction when I went to Salvador in Brazil, 90% of the population in Salvador is black. And yet the image we have in this country, the narrative that keeps being pushed is the violent, aggressive, uh, uncontrollable black male. And I'm looking in Salvador and I'm thinking, this is not the image I'm seeing here. Now we can go into a whole discussion as to why brown people are angry, justifiably so because of the history of this country. But yeah, it it, it took those trips for me to recognize, holy cow, this image here is negative. So I, as a child, my environment taught me that you need to assimilate as quickly as possible. You need to speak without an accent. You need to, um, I remember I went to promote my business at a hotel and I was trying to do a corporate account with them. And I said, hi, my name is Sergio. I own this business. I'd like to talk to some blah, blah, blah. And then the, one of the guys started asking me all these questions. And then at one point, his boss says, all right, you've taken enough of his, you've taken enough of his time, he says to his worker. His boss is going to wonder where he is. And I paused for him. Okay, and I thought, see. Yeah, and I paused and I thought to myself, okay, A, he does not see me as a boss. Or B, he doesn't see someone who looks like me as a boss. So there's the kind of narrow view. And I've had to deal with this my entire life. And thank God I'm not bitter. I mean, some would argue, but I don't feel bitter. But it's when you are constantly having to defend why you feel the way you do and whatever it is you do, it's exhausting. So I assimilated as quickly as I could because I didn't want that. And and for me, you know, before I was doing fitness and yoga, I was an opera singer. I was singing opera. And so this is this is this weird, strange world. Now, do black people do opera? Of course, we all know Jesse Norman and, you know, Leontine Price. You see, when it comes to opera, there's this image of, yes, black women sing opera. There's this little bit of an image of a black opera diva. So uh, here's the crazy thing, though. I'm not fat. Yeah. So I mean, that, when that I was definitely singing, you are not, <laughs> I'm not when I was singing opera, look how we are as human beings. There was this assumption that I did not have a large voice or couldn't command stage because I was a skinny mini. So there's this idea that you have to be uh, fat to do opera. That's totally wrong. Yeah. And, and that's why I got into fitness because once I, I said, well, I'm not going to make any money singing. I went right into fitness because I just walked on the gym floor, didn't know anything. Sergio, I didn't know anything about fitness. My arms have always been cut, always. Even like you. Girl. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, lucky me. You so know how hard I, I have just to walked work. on the gym floor. 
Right. I just walked on the gym floor and people assumed that I knew something. And then I filled in and I, I did my homework and now I do know a lot. Yeah. But it was very easy for me to switch into fitness because of preconceived notions. Yeah. I already had the body. I just had to fill in the in intelligence. And, uh, and, and so that's where I think the state of yoga is. I, I, I try to work very, very hard to focus on the yoga. Yeah. I, I know the more that I focus on the yoga, that people who are interested in the yoga, people who are there for other things like the speedo and the sociality of it, I know that they will fall off. Yeah. And I know that the serious people will come towards me no matter what color or race they are. And you can still benefit from yoga, whether your goal is because that's where your friend goes or you want to meet people or the instructor's yeah. hot or the person you have a crush on takes the class. I always say you can go to the gym because you want to be healthier. My foundation for that could be that I am resentful to everyone who made fun of me and I'm going to prove them wrong. Or my foundation can be, I want to be stronger. They both require me to show up, apply myself and watch what I eat and be dedicated. So at the end, whether you walk on this platform or the other platform, the outcome ideally will be you end up in a better place because you have to apply those tools. Hopefully the foundation is coming from a good place. So even with yoga, it, there's still the world problems are still in there. Um, mm -hmm. Well, thank you so mm -hmm. much for kind of shedding a light on this. I mean, honestly, for me, it's like, Ooh, I want to do yoga. I want to look good. I want to wear a speedo. I mean, the only reason I want to do ballet is because I want my legs and butt to look the way they do. They look incredible, but my turnouts terrible. Um, it has to do with my left hip. I would have been a ballet dancer if it wasn't. Yoga is good as you age. Yeah. Yeah. And right, exactly. Also, for your for your uh, listeners to know, yoga just ages with you. Some of the other things will fall away. Yeah. But yoga ages well. There's a lot of parts to it that go as you age, and so you know, just always consider that when you're thinking about yoga. Very no, very true. I mean, whatever gets you moving. I always tell everyone, a sedentary is the worst thing for your body. Um, so yeah, yoga, step aerobics, stripper aerobics, whatever you want to do, break it down as long as you're moving. Well, now, Cecily, we get to my favorite part of the show where I get to ask you some rapid fire questions and you just have to answer and see what comes to mind. Ready? What is the one thing you want to improve about yourself? The one thing I want to improve about myself is I get high anxiety when I can't do something. Um, I'm an intelligent person. I can do a lot. I just get really super high anxiety and I start to cry and I really start to think I'm stupid and that there's something wrong with me, which is ridiculous because I'm an intelligent, capable person. Something just happens to me. And I, so I would like to improve that. If you could get rid of one thing in the world, what would it be? I want to say stupidity. What do you wish people knew about you that they don't? That I'm a classically trained musician. Finish this sentence. I feel most insecure when? I feel most insecure in any kind of bureaucratic setting like the DMV. Finish this sentence. I feel most confident when? I feel most confident when I'm teaching people. If I understand something, I can teach the shit out of it. <laughs> Work it out. What's your definition of love? My definition of love is that you are love. We are love as an individual. It's not something that we trade. It's not something that we get. It's not even something that we give. It's something that we are. If you could go anywhere in the world, where would you go and why? I would want to go to a monastery somewhere in the Himalayas because, uh, because I think it, the Himalayas are just a view of the world. So high in the mountains. So it's, it's a very particular visual 
and uh, and then I would like to go to a monastery. So you go to a monastery in the Himalayas. There you go. Your happy song is? My happy song is, because I'm happy, um, if you feel that happiness is the truth, because I'm clap along if you feel, like I could sing that song all day. That is a great song. Uh, what's a hidden talent you possess? I really love physics and I wish that I had been taught physics and science more as a young person. I think it's a hidden ability that I have that was never brought out because I didn't study science. But I really understand physics when people are talking about quantum physics. And when I look at physics and movement and geometry, I just don't understand the science and the math of it, but I do understand it conceptually. Gotcha. What would you tell the 15-year-old Cecily? Oh, I would say, girl, please go on and just ignore all of that. (laughs) (laughs) Please just go on. Just what the the people who hate you, the the people who look at you side, please just go on. Please just ignore it. Just go on. Do what you were doing. Do what you were going to do anyway. Yeah. I always say people are going to talk whether you succeed or don't might as well succeed while you're doing it. So, well, thank you so much for, it was great to see you. I haven't seen you in quite some time. Um, You've yet to see me at a comedy show, by the way. So July 24th, I'll be in San Francisco at Cobb's Comedy Club, big show doing 20 minutes to a half hour. So if you guys are around, it'd be great to see you guys. Um, Where can people find you on social media? Are you on Instagram? Social media, Instagram.com slash Cecily underscore Yogi. YouTube. YouTube.com slash C slash Yogi Cecily and website Cecily's Yoga Retreats.com. Excellent. I will put all those links in the show notes. So when people listen to the episode, all they have to do is swipe up and they can click on each one of those things. Um, Well, great. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for doing the podcast, for being an instructor, for exposing me to yoga, for recognizing my talents when you hired me. I know I'm a, I'm a lot to deal with and handle at times, but I definitely recognize, I appreciate that you saw me and you saw the talents that I possess. And then some people see talent and they get threatened by it or they want to control it. And you were like, give it water, let it, let it do its thing. And, and it was financially beneficial for both of us because I was making tons of money back then. Um, so thank you so much for doing the podcast. Say hello to your thank husband you. I and um, I will chat with you soon. Bye. Thank you. Namaste. Bye-bye. Namaste.
We, we all have a story. story. What's, what's, what's yours? yours? What's yours?